to travel a bit these days and I'm always running into people who say, when you see Pastor Trevor Chandler tell me uh, when he was in such and such a place at such and such a time, he really changed my life by uh, the message that he brought. Uh, I said last time I was here that Trevor's a national treasure and I mean that very sincerely, he's a national treasure to the body of Christ and uh, I believe that we are very privileged this morning to have him with us, so give him a great welcome. As a Through the flames. 
Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. The topic of my message today is God's temple. I can almost imagine a, a puzzled look on the Apostle Paul's face as he wrote or dictated his words when he said, Don't you know? Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Twice in the passage of Scripture, Paul says the same thing. Don't you know? Don't you know that you are the temple of God and God's Spirit lives in you? Now in those few verses that I read to you, the Apostle Paul uses four different uh, expressions, terms, to describe the followers of Jesus. He talks about them being God's fellow workers. He talks about them being God's field. In God's building, and finally God's temple. When I thought about those four uh, symbols, I thought, well, God's fellow workers, what does that mean? I think it means maturity. If we are fellow workers with God, we need a level of maturity. God's field. You're planting a field, what do you want back from it? You want quantity. God's looking for quantity. And God's building. What is the essential part of a building? Oh, it has to do with the foundation. It has to do with stability. And then God's temple. What's the meaning of that? Well, I thought of quality and spirituality. These are one of the wonderful symbols, uh, symbols that are used. Now, under the Old Covenant, Jewish life was centered, regulated by three essentials. The first one was God's law. Initially, that was the Levitical law, the law in Leviticus, and then added to by the Mosaic law, the law that God gave to Moses. The second essential was the priesthood. The Aaronic, Aaronic priesthood, Aaron was the high priest in that order. And then thirdly, <coughs> the temple. Now, the interesting, wonderful truth is that Jesus fulfilled all of those. These were Old Testament figures, all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He replaced the law by faith. He fulfilled the law. He met the law, the demands of the law, and ushered in grace. He became the great high priest of our faith. And he said himself that he was the temple. We'll see that as we go on. So, they are wonderful truths we need to recognize. The Jewish people thought of themselves and their nation as being the kingdom of God. They were God's people. They were especially chosen. They didn't realize that God chose them for a purpose. He chose them for the purpose of taking God's message of reconciliation to the whole world. They kept it for themselves and saw themselves as being the kingdom of God. But Jesus contradicted that concept. He said, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is not here or there. It's within you. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he picked up the Old Testament terminology 
and referred to the church, using this symbolism of being God's temple. You are the temple of God, and God's Spirit lives in, in you. And that's what I want to deal with today, dealing particularly with the symbolism of God's temple. And that again puzzled question. Don't you know? I don't know, friends, whether you've thought about this carefully, but I want you to know today, before you leave this place, I will have been impressed in your mind that you, if you are a Christian, you committed your life to Christ, you are the temple of God. Now, you have some wonderful facilities here. They're not like great cathedrals, but they're very serviceable, they're reusable. You've done an amazing job in developing this particular site. You will have seen in recent days the uh, television uh, portrayal of what's happening in Rome, the wonderful uh, St. Peter's Basilica and Cathedral there, and the pomp and splendor of that beautiful building. But God doesn't live in buildings. God lives in people. And that's a great challenge. If we are that temple, we are commanded to care for that temple and not to defile it. But the question is, what does it mean? What is the Holy Spirit saying to us today when we are referred to as the temple of God? I like to remind people, because people approach Scripture and often think, well, that's for me. Well, it is, but it wasn't written to you. All Scripture was written for a purpose. It was written to people of that particular day. I like this expression. Scripture is not written to us it is written for us. So when I read scripture written to somebody else, I have to ask myself now, what did it mean to them and what does it mean to me? What principle, what truth can I take up from that scripture? Now there's an important saying that we also need to know. <coughs> it has to do with the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You may have heard this before. The New is in the old concealed, the old is by the new revealed. The new is in the old concealed, the old is by the new revealed. You cannot read the Old Testament without going now to the New Testament and saying to yourself, what difference did Jesus make? What difference did the cross make to what we have in the Old Testament? Now, to begin my message today, I want to unfold first a teaching in the New Testament. In Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2, we read this. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to his buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another Every stone will be thrown down. Now, this was not the first visit Jesus made to the temple. He'd been there many times and with his disciples. So why did the disciples draw his attention to the buildings? I really think that this was something the Holy Spirit was setting up to leave a great truth for us. And when you go first to a place, people like to point out the special features. On the first visit that I made to Paris, the pastor Vince Esselman was my host. And he took me around the wonderful sights of Paris. He took me to the Eiffel Tower and to the Louvre 
and all these places, wonderful, outstanding places one reads about. And he pointed out all the features. Now I went back again later. Here was so late, I went back a third time. Now this time he didn't have to tell me all about the building. He just said, would you like to go to the Eiffel Tower here? And off we went. He didn't say, now I want to tell you about the Eiffel Tower, because of where it's built, you read all the history of it. I had already known that. So why was, why did the disciples refer Jesus to the building of the temple? Interesting, another scripture in John chapter 2, verse 19. And Jesus said this, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up again in three days. And they looked at him and gasped. That is what? It took our fathers 46 years to build this temple. You've got to build it again in three days. But then it goes on to say, he was not speaking about the building. He was speaking about himself. How about he would die, be put into a tomb, and would raise to life again on the third day. So what did Jesus say? He was saying that he is the real temple of God. Destroy this temple, and I will build it up again in three days. He did not speak of the building. He spoke of himself. Jesus is the true temple of God. He's the center of worship. He's the center of sacrifice. He's the center of cleansing. All of our provision is now bound in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to make this very plain that God does not live in buildings made with hands. Now, God is here. God is here because he's in, his spirit is here because his spirit is in the believer. If you're a Christian, you are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit lives in you. But you don't come here to find the spirit. You bring the spirit here. So as we gather together, there's tremendous accumulated power in our being together. In corporate gathering. I think personally that the Bible teaches there's more authority more power in a corporate gathering than there is in the individual. And nothing wrong with what God does for you individually, that's marvelous. Wonderful miracle. The Holy Spirit is with you individually everywhere you go. But when you come together, there's a greater accumulation of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 7, verse 48, Stephen, when he was preaching before they stoned him to death, he said, The most high does not live in houses made by hands. Now, in this building today, there's all kinds of things going on that we can't see and we can't hear. If I have a little radio receiver, I can turn it on and you can hear voices. Those voices are in this building. If you have the right kind of receiver, you will hear them. There are television signals in this building. If we have the right receiver and a certain television, Signals going out now that you'll see on those screens that we could pick up various television channels. All going on here. We can't see it, we can't hear it without the right kind of receiver. Next 17, verse 24. The Apostle Paul said, God does not live in temples made with hands. If you want to visit the finest cathedral in the world, please don't go there just to find God. Now that's the place where people worship God. And in beautiful building, wonderful to see. I've been in St. Paul's Cathedral, I've been in Westminster Abbey, and it's quite awesome to see those places. But I didn't go there to find God. 
God does not live in buildings made with hands. I read the scripture in 1 Corinthians 3. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Now Paul repeated that in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 90. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? He's repeating, don't you know? We need to know these things. We need to have this very firmly embedded in our minds and also in our hearts. Honor God with your body. Christianity, I think, is probably the only religion that finds a proper expression for our body. We are spirit, soul, and body. We part being. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21. The Apostle Paul talks about the whole building as people rises to become a holy temple. And then in the next scripture, 1 Peter 2 verse 5, he explains that you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. We are living stones being built into the temple of God. And you will see the significance of that as I proceed with my message. John 4, verse 21, Jesus said this, The time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. On verse 23, True worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and that God's spirit lives in you. God's spirit does not live in places, he lives in people who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is here today because you are here. Because we are here and the Holy Spirit lives in us. In Revelation 21 verse 23, the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are his temple. Talking about the new heavens and the new earth. The Lord Almighty and the Lamb are his temple. Not a building, not a structure, most of not the most glorious place you've ever seen. It's in God and in His Lamb. Lord Almighty and the Lamb are His temple. Now, to me, it's very sad that there are millions of born again believers around the world who are looking for a temple to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. And if you want to know, I hope you will rethink your situation. The only chief purpose of the temple was to offer animal sacrifices. The reason why the Jewish religion has never been completed since the destruction of the temple is that they did not have the right place to sacrifice lambs. But the Bible says the Lamb of God has now been slain. It would be an abomination to God to offer now another animal sacrifice. And if you are believing for a temple to be rebuilt, the purpose of it is not to fulfill prophecy, is so that animal sacrifices can be made. And whether people like to say that could only be symbolical or not, I don't need the symbol when I have the reality. I don't need the shadow when I have the real. So many things in the Old Testament are shadows, which Jesus fulfilled, and he brought reality to us. Why am I looking for a temple to be rebuilt? Because now my body, your body, we are the temple of God. But the question is, what is the spiritual meaning of that today? Is this just information or is it something to teach us? Now the Bible tells us that King David, 
had it in his heart to build a temple for the Lord. Had the tabernacle, he had much beauty about it, much skill in its preparation. But David's heart said, that's not good enough for God. God is so wonderful, so great. I want to build something that will match God's splendor. If that was ever possible, it was ever done. You go to First Chronicles chapter 22, and uh, God told David that he would not build the temple because David was a man of war. He had blood on his hands. But he said, I'll accept your son. Your son Solomon, he may build it. And as we go through Scripture now, and I haven't time to do this for you, you'd have to accept my explanation. But David wanted to help. Although God said, you're not going to build it, David said, well, let me help, because he pulled up plants. And he began to gather in the materials that would be required for it. And then David gave the charge to Solomon. He told him that he was going to build a temple for God and how to do that particular task. And challenged the people, and even challenged the people. He said, we need the resources, we need the equipment, we need the money. And people began to give for the final building of the temple. In First Chronicles 29, verses 6 to 9, we read the story of the building of the temple. And as you go through different parts of Scripture, this all comes together. If you've ever seen a chronological Bible, it's a great tool for Bible study. Puts all the events of the Bible into chronological order. It takes different kings and chronicles and puts them in the right date order. But it's a powerful story. And I believe it gives us an insight into the spiritual work that God is doing in us. Forming us as individuals and corporate to be a great part of a great temple that he's building for eternity. So this message has a very practical application. I hope that it will touch your heart. And then finally that temple was completed and dedicated. The glory of God came down. A picture, I believe, of the ultimate glory we will see when we are absent from this body, but present with the Lord. But the climax, when they, they came, the job was done. It was finished. I don't know about you, but I love finishing the project. When I start something, I'm a bit impatient to get it over. I'm not much good at doing a project going to take me two or three years. I want to get on to it and get it done. But this is a picture of what God is doing in us. We are the living stones that are being prepared as a temple for the Lord, a corporate temple for the Lord. What should we be like? If we're going to be a living stone in God's people, what kind of person should I be? What should we be like corporately as a church? What should be our attitude? What should be our thinking? What should be our attendance at the house of God as we tend to grow, develop, and become more and more like Christ? There are two key scriptures that help us to understand what I want to present to you as a parable. In 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 7, it says this, In building the temple, only blocks pressed at the quarry were used, and no hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool was used or heard at the temple site while it was being built. All, all the stones for the temple were prepared at the quarry. When they came to the temple site, it was complete. And then in 2 Chronicles 4, 16-17, it deals with all the equipment that was used in the temple. All the objects that Pharaoh 
and my mate for King Solomon for the temple of the Lord were of polished bronze. The king had them cast in clay molds in the plains of Jordan between Succoth and Zarephath. Nothing for the completed temple was done at the, at the temple site. Want you to get hold of that. It was all done somewhere else. Is that something of a parable of the day that we rise in heaven? A completed work already done. No more preparation once we reach eternity. Where this last breath of life goes from my body, that will be it. I believe that then that's my preparation is over. What I have become in that time is what I will be to all eternity. All the preparation work is done away from the completed temple itself. All the cutting, the chiseling, the polishing were done before the blocks were taken to the temple site. Then every piece was quietly and efficiently fitted into its correct place according to the master plan. No chiseling, no cutting, no sawing, no shaping. Every piece completed to fit into where God wanted that piece to go or where we should go. Are we allowing God to prepare us to fit into the place He has planned for our lives? And I believe that that's a picture or a parable of what God is doing. The circumstances of our lives, the challenges, Pain, suffering, the disappointment. And these are the work of the Master Craftsman, God's Holy Spirit, allowing us to be shaped and molded and developed to become, to fit in the very part that God desires us to fit. All you have experienced, think of it for a moment. All I have experienced in 85 years of life, all of those things were part of God's plan. Some things I didn't like. Many things I didn't enjoy. Some things were great. Some things were exciting. Every part was part of God's plan. Chiseling, shaping, molding, sewing, cutting. You know, there's a conflict between our convictions and our feelings. We have to win this battle. My convictions have to win the battle over my feelings. There are many times when I don't feel like doing what my conviction tells me. There are things I know that are right that I have a battle to do. There are things that are wrong that I have a battle not to do. It's a battle between convictions that I know to be God's plan, what I know to be God's standard, what I know to be God's word, and how I feel about it. And my feelings are not the reliable source. My convictions are. We need to receive the Word of God with strong convictions. It means that true Christianity is not religious observance, but it's an inner experience of Jesus. Christianity is not coming to church. Christianity is not reading your Bible. That's all part of it. Christianity is what's happening inside you. How are you responding to the Word of God and to the truth of God? We are in the quarry of life and conflict part of God's preparation. Suffering is for a purpose. Now, suffering is not a popular Pentecostal doctrine. We would rather that was not in the statement of faith. may not be in the statement of faith, but it's real in experience, isn't it? But we have to go through suffering. We rejoice in our suffering, the Apostle Paul said. How crazy is the man? 
We rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. It is built on genuine Christian character. And so we can rejoice in our suffering, knowing that this is part of God's master plan. It's shaping our lives for eternity. Now, in the Bible, suffering is presented in such a positive way. I've got about two pages in my notes of scriptures that deal with suffering. I won't suffer you to have to listen to those, all right? But I'll give you a couple so that you might know. Matthew 16, verse 21. Jesus began to explain to the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed. And on the third day, raised to life. When Jesus spoke to the Apostle Paul, it was then Saul on the road to Damascus. Acts chapter 9, verse 16. This is what the Lord said to Ananias. I will show him that Saul, how much he must suffer for my name. What a great introduction to the ministry. Here, I'm seeing this man, Saul, the persecutor to you, Ananias. And when he comes, I want you to explain to him how much he's going to suffer for my name. Some people would resign from the ministry immediately. Who wants to be in on that deal to suffer? In Acts chapter 17, verse 3, again Paul says, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. In Romans 5, verse 3, I've quoted this before, not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Do you think of the Apostle Paul? He prayed about a thorn in his flesh. He called it the messenger of Satan that buffeted him. He did not like it. And he prayed that God would take it away. And he prayed three times. Every time God said no. That's a pretty tough thing to say. Now, if I'd been the Apostle Paul and I was a powerful man of prayer and prayed three times for a certain uh, provision, and God said no, I might have been inclined to say, now listen, Lord, I'll give you three chances. And you are in serious danger of losing your position. And if you don't fix up this problem, I'm on my way home. And you better get on the job. But God responded to him and said, No, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. I said before, this is my favorite scripture now. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. I've got plenty of that now. I've got plenty of that weakness. Can't even get up on a platform this high. Oh, Pastor Philip's going to get behind me when you push up. Again, I think, well, no, I've said that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And Paul at that time said, well, good, I'll, I'll rejoice in my weaknesses. Because if that produces God's strength, I'll put up with my human weakness, even if I'm not in my best, and do what I can. And God's strength is demonstrated. See, how else do we know the grace of God if you don't come through times of testing? There's an old Arab proverb that says, all sunshine makes a mess. You'll never know the grace of God if you don't experience in times of difficulty. How else can you know victory if you never have a battle? No battle, how can you come through it? 
But when you think about this logically, we realize that everything in life is for a purpose. There's a wonderful poem that I have that helps me understand this about life in the forest. It's called The Weaver. I've always loved this poem. This is one verse. Not till the moon is silent and the shuttle cease to fly will God explain the reason or God unfold the canvas and explain the reason why the dark threads are as lethal in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. Let's just read that again. Not till the moon is silent and the shuttle cease to fly will God unfold the canvas and explain the reason why the dark threads are as lethal in the weaver's skillful hands as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. Isn't that so true? I believe the day will come and we'll be able to see it. But Lord, now I understand what I never understood before. You have a purpose in all these things that happen. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Peter wrote, Dear friend, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. Now the wonderful truth is that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of comfort. He is the comforter. He is the one who is there to help us. We are not there to help us. We are not alone in our challenges. We are not alone in the problems of past. The Holy Spirit is there to inspire us, to help us, to bring back to remembrance word of God. And then in Revelation chapter 2 verse 10, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and all you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. That was one of the letters written to one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. How would you have done if you were in that church? You know, the letter to Ephesus was a great one. I have set before you an open door, and no man can shut it. Some people will be resigning from this church and going to the one of Ephesus. They've got a better promise than me. But God is preparing us all for something special. He's building a temple for his habitation. And we are part of that temple. In some mysterious way, God has to prepare each of us to fit into the exact spot he has for us in his eternal life. Now, I know that we can miss out. I know that it's possible that there could be a place for me that because of my failure to obey, allow God to work, I could miss out. I'm not missing out on my salvation. Remember that scripture? It says God's fire is going to test everything. His room built with silver, gold, precious stones, hay, wood, stubble. The fire will go through and precious things will remain. They will stand the test of the fire. Otherwise, all we built will be burnt up. But the scripture goes on and says, but you yourself will be saved, though it's by fire. I do not want to be saved by the skin of my feet. I want to have some treasure in heaven. I want to build up not treasure just on earth. I want it in heaven. You guarantee salvation because that has nothing to do with what you do. It has to do with the grace of God that's appropriated by faith. And I want to have a deposit. I want to have something waiting for me there as part of the treasure that I've laid up in heaven. Not for selfish reasons, but God put up this plan. I didn't. This is not my thinking, this is God's thinking. He told us to do that. 
But all these things we are helped by the Holy Spirit. He is there, he does not leave us, he does not forsake us. God will not test us about what we're about what we're going to stand. I love that scripture. You know, every test and every temptation is common to man. But God will not allow you to be tested above what you are able to stand. I've had people that say to me, oh Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. I've had so many difficulties. Modify to then go something like this. Well, God must have great confidence in you. And they look at me as if I'm mad. What do you mean? I said, well, God said he would not test you, tempt you, above what you're able to stand. He knows you can handle it. If you go through a tough time, God knows you can handle it. Because he said he would not test you above what you could stand. Don't see trials and difficulties that God has deserted you. All divine activity in the universe is centered around Jesus. God has a destiny for every one of us. Don't throw it away. I do not want to be less than I could be. I look sometimes at my life and think, oh Lord, I could have done better than that. But you know, if your heart is right, that's what God is looking at. Sometimes our performance is not too brilliant. But if your heart is right, that's what God looks at. King David made some very, very serious mistakes. But he had a heart that was towards God. And God looked at his heart. Don't keep looking at your inadequacies or, or your failures. Try not to repeat them. You know, the big thing about mistakes is don't keep making the same one. You must make a mistake. Mistake make a different one. That's right. But, you know, learn something as we go through life. God has a destiny. Don't throw it away. We are part of God's temple. We are part of his body. We are part of his bride. Wonderful terms. Today we're thinking about temples and we're thinking about the preparation of a living stone. God is chiseling. He is hammering. He is cutting. He is sawing into our lives. Every experience and every day is part of that process. And when that final call comes, this stone, your stone, is going to be picked up and transported into eternity down in a perfect place God's eternal temple. Wow. Can't even conceive of it. But it's marvelous. Through my soul. You know, death is a great adventure and I get ready. I'm quite excited about that. I mean that. I like the thrill. It's good. I love people. The people I know are going to be separated from them in one way. But I'm looking for them dying out as my next greatest adventure. The greatest adventure of all, actually. I think I'm going to be excited. I don't want to pass out with a sudden heart attack. You know, that would be nice. I'm always going to be good if I die preaching or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to pick me up at all. But you know, it would be nice if you just sort of lying there, gambling around the bed, zooming out somewhere. <laughs> What's wrong with you here? <laughs> yes. Oh, what are you going to see? God is weaving me off this life. That's what happened when you love that. Your body gets a bit frail and feeble. You don't want to hang around too much longer. But for all you young people, keep on going. You've had a great life ahead of you all. Hallelujah. But it's a wonderful day. It's a day for a great decision. If you've never committed your life to Christ, you're not the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're only the temple of the Holy Spirit when you commit your life to Christ. You do that by a very simple transaction. How wonderful here are the young people that have been meeting here yesterday. And so many of them, I believe, made first-time commitments to Jesus. 
or heaven they have, have to be just right. The vessel was full of temple too. The lady enjoyed his party. Each finished piece was made just right for the Jewish place of day. And all the parts were put in place. The temple was complete. This was the dwelling place of God. Everything replete. Then further down the path of time, Jesus Christ appeared. His teaching was so powerful, the hearts of men were cheered. One day beside the temple court, he told about its fame. He said, destroy the temple here, I'll raise it up again. Just three days it'll take to do. The listeners just stared. But Jesus spoke not of this work, but rising from the dead. A new truth he established there. God had another plan. He lived no more in temples fine, but in the hearts of man. So now we are God's temple here. He's perfecting all. The challenges of daily life shall shape us for God's call. Hammering, the chisel cuts, every hurtful blow prepare us for eternity. God's finished work to show. And so the angel temple work has much to us to say. The kind of work that God desires is working out each day. When you feel the chisel sharp, rejoice and take God's grace, shaping every one of us to fit heaven's place. That's what he's doing. That's the parable of the temple. No longer a building made by hands, but living in each one of us. Make sure Christ is living in you. You can do that by a simple decision today. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the wonderful truth of the word. We thank you, Lord, for the choices you have made. Lord, that you prepared us to be your temple, for the Holy Spirit to live in us. Lord, we are so grateful. I pray for every born again believer here, Lord, that they will take seriously today what it means to be the temple of God. Don't you know that your body is the temple of God? And the Holy Spirit lives in you. If you defile God's temple, God will destroy you. What a serious thought that is. Every Christian today, I challenge you. Don't you know your body is the temple of God? The Spirit of God lives in you. In a promiscuous, uh, careless world, we need to think carefully about what that means. And then if you've never given your life to Christ, you can invite Jesus into your heart right now. You can say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I want to serve you. I want to be forgiven. I want to be part of the family. I want to be part of that glorious temple that you're preparing now for eternity. So, Father, speak into our hearts. We pray that your word will take deep root within us. It will not go away lightly. Lord, that we will hold fast to our convictions, not allow our feelings to dominate us. But, Lord, we'll increasingly become day by day the kind of person you want us to be. Watch over us, guard our steps. Inspire us, direct us, help us by your Holy Spirit. We give you praise and thanks in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Curtis. Excellent. Thank you for coming out and doing this for us. Thank you, Bruce. I know you do. Isn't it good to know that we are God's temple, you know, and that all the pain and the suffering, the things that we've gone through, 
Is it because God is angry at us or judging us? Is it because He's preparing us? And uh, we get to choose to live in that. So fantastic reminder. Thank you, Pastor Trevor. Uh, Pastor Carl wants you to know that he really, really wanted to be here today, particularly because uh, Pastor Trevor was speaking. I think if I was speaking, he wouldn't have cared that much. But uh, Pastor Trevor was speaking, and uh, you know, he was really sad about not being here. But he's actually ministering in South Australia uh, at a church in Victor Harbour called Covenant Family Church. So uh, you know, we're praying for him as he winds up from there and gets back tonight. He'll be back on deck. Um, not before his night, there will be issues, so you can relate to Monday. So basically, we just want to let you know that the front is open if you need prayer for anything, you moved in worship or you've got an issue in your life, you want to come up the front, we'd love to pray with you. If you even responded just now to that prayer about, you know, God, I invite you into my life and I want to be a part of the kingdom, um, I want to, you know, encourage you. If, you're, if you pray that prayer for the first time, that you want to be a part of the family of God, we would love to know and we would love to help you and sort of guide you through, you know, maybe the next steps and just encourage you. But other than that, thanks for coming along. Uh, please go over to the cafe and enjoy some food and fellowship with each other. And thanks for coming.